Welcome to The Brink of Impact, a podcast by me, Maggie Stoller, me, Rachel Whaley, and me, Chelsea Lowe, three aspiring social entrepreneurs living in Chicago. Our goal is to energize young people to build careers in social impact. We are here to interview others just starting out in the social sector to share ideas and resources for launching your career. We hope you'll continue the conversation after this episode by joining us on Twitter at Brink of Impact. This week, we interview the CEO of Ballot Ready. We chat about the funding of nonprofits and we share our experiences job hunting in the nonprofit world. On today's current events section, we are going to talk about a recent report from Bridgespan, which is a consulting firm for nonprofits, uh, that talks about the funding for nonprofits coming from foundations. Typically, the guideline is that a foundation can only fund overhead and staff salaries and administrative and supply costs at 15% of their total funding. Um, And the report from Bridgespan says this is incredibly damaging. They call it a starvation cycle in which foundations are crippling the very nonprofit they are trying to support. So what are your thoughts? So it's a super interesting article. And my first thought is, oh my gosh, yes, we need to make sure that um, 15% seems way too low for overhead costs. I think in my head, being someone who's working in the nonprofit sector, I... And of course, it depends on what nonprofit you're working for, but the importance of having really talented staff is something that I um, have always seen prioritized in the organizations that I've worked for. Um, Granted, I haven't had much experience doing direct service work at a nonprofit organization, so I do understand the value in um, making sure that, you know, I guess 85% of all of the funds that you are giving to a nonprofit goes to the communities um, that they're being served. Um, But at the same time, I, I do feel like this also has to not just be a change in what the foundations are doing by saying 15%, but also just kind of a cultural change in um, valuing overhead as a way to really identify and retain great talent at nonprofits and being sure that, um, I guess, just recognizing the value in putting money into overhead, um, that that kind of has value equally, if not more important than the direct service money. One component that I thought was really interesting from the article were the different categories that they gave for different types of nonprofits. So one of their solutions that they suggested were to have different overhead percentages for these different categories. So one um, were direct service organizations. Another one were policy and advocacy. uh, Or the third category is international networks and the fourth one were research organizations. So they compared uh, direct service organizations needs for overhead to uh, a policy or a research scientific organization and saying that scientists would definitely need to have a higher pay than someone who is doing direct service work with um, maybe like a children's organization. And I agree where you are going to need more more overhead for a scientist towards versus someone maybe with a social work degree, but it kind of, I'm reluctant to say like a scientist should be paid more than a social worker or a teacher. Teacher, so that's kind of my issue. My issue with this solution is that what do we say is who has more value? Like what area? So 
I, I guess that's my struggle with that. What do you all think about, I guess, their solution for these categories? I guess I think it's interesting because, for example, for like a research organization, a lot of the overhead is not necessarily salaries, but for like a research organization, it's setting up a science lab and purchasing equipment. And so that is one piece where I'm not, I see what you're saying about the salaries. And I do think it's problematic to go that direction, but I, I don't know that this is necessarily saying that. And in general, I think it's pretty valuable for nonprofits to pay talented people for what what their skills are worth because if they're paying people enough to keep them there for several years, that's doing a much better service to the community or the social issue than paying such a low salary that the position has high turnover, which is costly to the organization because hiring people is expensive and turnover time is expensive. And I, um, I think that often gets overlooked. My resource this week is another podcast called Actuality. Actuality explores the inner workings of the new global economy brought to to you by Marketplace and Quartz in a podcast that combines the best of our economic smarts. From creating a perfect algorithm to a perfect workforce, they'll reveal the surprising answers to puzzles that once seemed impossible to solve. Join them for new episodes every other Thursday. Brink of Impact podcast, we have Alex Nimchevsky, who is a co-founder and CEO of Ballot Ready. I met Alex in September of this past year uh, through my work at the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics, where Ballot Ready has been one of our programs for a while, but has now kind of grown out and blossomed on its own. I shouldn't even say blossomed, that denotes what the program is. You guys are running an awesome company, which we'll hear more about later, but we're so happy to have you, and welcome, Alex. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. (laughs) So um, we want to start off and um, ask you a few questions about uh, kind of where you're from. Uh, You went to college, I know, at University of Chicago. Uh, You're an alum there. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what kind of... um, drove you to start a career in public service. Um, I know you're an American alum as well, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I, I studied philosophy in college, uh, which I thought was really interesting, and I really like arguing with people, <laughs> but not in a way of like fighting with them. I like discussing things and coming to a new idea, and I, um, which was pretty unrelated to what I wanted to do after college. <laughs> After I graduated, I was volunteering, teaching ESL, and uh, I was I saw an opportunity to do AmeriCorps in Humboldt Park in Chicago. Oh, cool! And I luckily got <laughs> I got the job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when I was there, I taught the GED and adults who. Um, a lot of them wanted to get a GED in order to get a better job. The motivation it took for those students to come back to school, and mm-hmm. I, it was just, like, so inspiring. That's so great. I've just learned about Humble Park and its, like, cultural um, Puerto Rican neighborhood. Can you tell yeah. us more about, like, your experience in Humble Park? So it it's a super fun place to work, but people have such... It was really, like, heartwarming to hear people talk about their community in that way. And people really love that identity. But also, like, the 
place that I worked at, Association House, was very diverse. Did you like teaching? Was that, like, after you were kind of done your AmeriCorps year, did you know whether or not you wanted to teach or, or stay in public service in a different capacity? I wanted to keep working with adults. I really enjoyed working with adults, so I got a job at Jane Addams Resource Corporation helping people find jobs. And that was not AmeriCorps. That was after your right. AmeriCorps year. Yeah. But it definitely could not have gotten that job without doing AmeriCorps. Having done, yeah. I feel like that's a common thing, that the network of AmeriCorps is really powerful. And even just having it on your resume is kind of a well-respected thing, especially when yeah. you're trying to find another like nonprofit public service mm-hmm. job. Um, I'm curious in this timeline of then where you jump or where this like interest yeah. in politics comes in because you study philosophy, you've taught, you yeah. kind of are doing job placement. So you have seems like you're like plagued with many interests. So yeah. how did the AmeriCorps experiences to this interest in politics with Valoretti? Yeah. I felt like I was like a, like pretty good. Um I could I was very um warm and like helpful to people, but I wasn't getting the training that I needed. Mm-hmm. And so I was sort of looking for outside opportunities. So the growth opportunities just weren't really, you didn't see that. Exactly. And I was looking for growth opportunities that were like, like I would have been fine staying in my position, but growing my skills and learning. And I just felt like I was like hitting a wall there. Yeah. Um, so then I did two things. I took a coding class, and I started a design thinking consultancy. Amazing. And I, the design thinking consultancy, I started with a business partner who I went to school with at UChicago, and I was using some of my psych research background, and I was, I was pretty good at interviewing people. Um, so it was basically qualitative research, and we did work for um, schools, civic-related work. Um, our work was used by the White House. So that got me kind of, like, thinking about this. And when I was learning to code, I the first thing I did was make a site that was the first version of Ballot Ready. And... Um, it was ugly and <laughs> <laughs> very ugly. Yes. Um, and when I was also thinking about, I had one experience with one of my clients um, who I was helping find a job, and he, his unemployment check had stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, people were getting extensions on that, but then Congress, it was up in Congress, mm-hmm. and it was like, we don't know if you're going to get an extension or not. Um, he was like, what can I do? And I was like, you can write your people who represent you. And he was like, I'm not doing that. Why would they listen to me? And I was like, that's a good point, not to be cynical, but sure. I also <laughs> do not have a lot of faith that they will yeah. listen. Right. Yeah. And I, that was like something that just made me feel like we don't have, we're not using our full power to be voters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 
an entryway into being politically engaged citizens. So maybe you can be an activist in a number of ways, but being an informed voter is one way that you can have power that we're not harnessing properly now or now with ballot ready. Yes. <laughs> That's the idea. And now we can. Yes. yes. Um, so for those of us um, that don't know, what um, what is ballot ready? Yeah. And what is your role at ballot ready? Um, so I founded ballot ready um, with two co-founders and I'm now the CEO and ballot ready is an online voter guide for local state and national elections. And the, what we do is we solve the problem that many people are ready or psyched to vote for president, but then when they get to the voting booth, they see all these offices on the ballot that they don't really know what they're responsible for or what power they have and all these names they've never heard of before. So we, when you go to the ballot ready site, we, we show you every candidate on your ballot and we aggregate background information on them, like their stance on issues, who endorses them, their previous experience, voting records. Which I think is so helpful. I, I was blown away that this idea did not exist before. Um, because usually I would just always, I would know who I was voting for at the top, but then just vote for women as I moved from the ballot, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, is, is fun if you want to have a certain, like, platform, you want to put women in office, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's just not an informed way to go into the voting booth. So, we're really curious as to what you do in your CEO role, so what, give us an example of what you did this week or today, what that looks like. Okay, so, um, first I send a bunch of emails including to the IOP. Nice. Because um, we're trying to work together on something. Uh, this morning, I had an interview with a reporter um, for Cranes. So uh, that was exciting. Yeah. Um, we, we've gotten, I've gotten a little more comfortable with press. So yeah. this was like the first time I wasn't like, deathly nervous before oh, that's good. so it was like pretty fun that's and then awesome. it turned out to be great so I was like yes um then I met with we're in the middle of fundraising our seed round and we have a mentor advisor who works for the Pritzker VC group it's the biggest VC mm. firm in and he um, is just has been helping us since last September, probably just like, you know, we're, we're hiring more people. So I asked his advice on that. We are fundraising. You know, I asked his advice on our financial model, stuff like that. So that was super helpful. Um, then I met with another one of our advisors who's a professor at IIT mm-hmm. and we're working on some uh, she uh, she's a professor at the Illinois Institute of Technology and she is helping us work on some ways of automating how we collect information on candidates and then I sent Emails, I feel like. <laughs> emails a lot of computer yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
and I came here. Sounds like a I lot. Know. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty full day. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like a lot of meetings, a yeah. lot of emails. It was a super um, fun day. And yeah. Including now. <laughs> well, so much of, um, I think, you know, when you are running your own company, I'm sure is the flexibility of, like, you are your own boss, essentially. I mean, you. I'm sure yeah, you have yeah. a board, and there's people that you have to respond to. and um, But for the most part, you just have that flexibility in your schedule. Mm-hmm. So can you sp- explain more about your business model? So, like... Is Ballot Ready a business that, like, functions more like a nonprofit? Just explain, I guess, how the setup works. Right. So we are for-profit. Mm-hmm. We are not a nonprofit. And we we thought about this very carefully, but it makes a lot of sense. And the reason is we always want to be free for voters. Mm-hmm. And we want this to be sustainable, and we want to cover every election in every democracy around the world. And in order to do that, we need revenue that can scale us up. Um, we also know that campaign spending is very high. It's a $10 billion market. And democracy is not just about voters learning about potential candidates. It's camp candidates themselves learning what their constituents value and care about. So we are pre-revenue now, but have done a lot of customer development to come up with our revenue models. And we have two main ones. One is we are collecting voter behavior data. So we will be able to tell in aggregate voters in this district care about these issues. So if you want to represent them, you should take a stand. This is how you should action. feel about this yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> these issues, right? Um, the other is we're going to have ads on the site, but not no banner ads across the top. We're going to sell ad space in each candidate profile, so a candidate you know, can put their video ad, and if you're a voter and you want to see their ad, you can click on it if you want to. For candidates, this allows them to reach voters in their districts while they're making a decision. Mm-hmm. For voters, we've experimented with this on the site just to see. We want to make sure voters find this useful. But the feedback we got was very positive. They like seeing how candidates represent themselves. They act um Sometimes ads can be entertaining in a good way. They're touching, or they can be entertainingly bad. Mm-hmm. Both of those are kind of useful information when making a decision about who to vote for. And where have you gotten your funding so far? So before our seed round, we got some from the Institute of Politics, which was wonderful. Our first like few hundred dollars, which was like amazing. <laughs> um, we won first place at the at Chicago Booth's uh, Social New Venture Challenge, and we've gotten grant funding from the National Science Foundation and the Knight Foundation. We are now in the middle of raising our seed round from investors. We um, just got a significant investment from the University of Chicago's Innovation Fund, which we're very, very thrilled about. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a good investor to have. And we're 
you've now raised 75% of the round, which oh. is... You're like almost there. That's <laughs> exactly. really when does the round end? Uh, when we... When, when you hit it? When we hit it. round end? Yeah. Yeah, when we hit it. Well, just to get like all the business out of the way, I mm-hmm. wanted to know what keeps you motivated to work in the social impact sector? Yeah. Um, so one thing is I, I think the most motivating thing for me is my team, my co-founders. Like I feel like when stuff – when I feel discouraged, like when we get a no from an investor or – something on the site doesn't work. Um, I, when I feel most discouraged, I like go talk to my team and I feel great. (laughs) You know, they're very, I think we are very close and we work together very well. We kind of balance each other's anxieties. And so I feel very wonderful. I love my team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's not specific to social impact, but I think the fact that, um, you know, we're having a big reach is very powerful to us. Uh, we, I feel like we share the same values that we, which are, we love voters. We don't think they're dumb. We just think they, information is really hard to find. Um, and having that kind of attitude is sort of, inspiring to me it's so important to surround yourself with supportive people that are kind of excited about the same things that you are um but I want to ask too about you as a person I know um it's so important um and necessary that we prioritize self-care in the social sector because a lot of times people don't so I'm curious what makes you happiest like what do you do um when you are feeling down besides talking to your co-founders yeah um what do you kind of like to do um, really talking to my co-founder is number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know I do like to work out. Um, I also, I have a CEO coach who's wonderful. Amazing. Yeah. It's, is uh, your CEO coach another CEO or it's just a... Can you reveal any secrets? (laughs) (laughs) Describe what his... He used to be uh, an executive at Ariel Investments. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) Okay, so I got connected to this, my CEO coach, through this accelerator that we did as a company called Merge Lane, which is for women-led companies. And they practice this leadership style called conscious leadership. And so my CEO coach does also. And one of the things in conscious leadership is you are open and honest and authentically yourself. And what this means is you are open and you don't withhold things from other people. So one example of how he helped me with something was I, um, or like the day before I met with him, I uh, was talking to this man who's, I don't want to say like 
what his role is, but he's important and um, I've known him for, he knows me through doing Ballot Ready and I had known him for like six months. And um, I, I ran into him and I gave him an update on Ballot Ready and like things were going like so, so well. We, a number of things were going well when I told him that. And his response was, he made some comments about my appearance that were negative. Uh, he was hmm. like, you should, you like your hair, like you, let me tell you something. You need to like what? style your hair differently. Just an update for listeners. My blood is boiling right now. Yes. But continue, yes. continue. <laughs> exactly. And like, I, I felt that way. I felt, and I felt so, I didn't feel angry at the moment. I felt very sad and hurt and I felt like unattractive and like ugly and bad and it was I, awful men giving sound advice to oh women my is gosh. always are you kidding always yeah. me no. and then, this is exactly oh my exactly. god no and i was like did you not just hear me say all these amazing oh things like so i was so and then i throughout like i couldn't i was very, i was distracted i couldn't i was so angry and so like next day i'm talking to Pete, my CEO coach, and like, we get like halfway into our meeting, and I'm like, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> Seriously, this this happened, and his but he he was angry. He got angry. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> rightfully so. Um, and he was like, Why would someone say that to a young woman? Like, obviously. Um, and he gave me the advice to, he was like, what would it be like if you went to this guy and said, when you you said this, I felt sad and angry and I like how I look, which is true. (laughs) It's true. Yes. And I don't want you to ever say anything like that again. And... I was like, oh my God, I like, that sounds very scary, obviously. Yeah. And I, but I knew I had to do it. And so I, like, I left and I, I emailed him and he was like, and I I was like, I want to talk to you about something. And he was like, oh, just email me. And I was like, no, I want to talk in person. And then I was like, oh my gosh, does he know I'm going to tell him something bad? And like, I had all these like fears and I was like, wait. I, I am going to tell him something bad and he's going to f- like have a reaction that yes. is going to be uncomfortable for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta do it. And I, we arranged a meeting and I thought I was going to throw up on the way there. I was sure. like so anxious and I went in his office and I was like, definitely so awkward. You know, I was like <laughs> <laughs> sweating uh, and like, uh, very visibly nervous and I I was like you said this I felt sad and angry and I don't want you to do that and he was like I'm so so sorry I he felt he felt very bad and he like had a very nice reaction Mm -hmm. and I felt 
then I felt awesome. You were like, this yeah. has been lifted from <laughs> exactly. me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea's big thing is uncomfortable conversations. I oh, like. I love having uncomfortable <laughs> conversations. <laughs> They're my favorite thing to do. Now um, that's how I yeah. feel. You, ha- you have to do it. Yeah. Like, it's almost like gratifying. You're like, I know this is going to be so uncomfortable, but you can see the other side. Yeah. Resolving things in a way. You're like, but I know it's going to come out of this is yeah. going to be really helpful for both people like both exactly sides. I feel like he got something a lot out of this oh my god oh yeah. so much he, he probably didn't even realize how harmful what he said was exactly what, like, yeah. exactly and now we have a great relationship like we're gonna like meet up and talk about all sorts of stuff like I feel very good about him now and he feels very good about me it's That's like amazing. I also think it's like dealing with sexist stuff it can be very intimidating to think like okay well this is just a piece of the huge sexist pie and there's nothing if I address it he's going to be super angry and I might as well not do it and like I'm also very empowered to I am so inspired by this story. This is like, this is like really powerful. Not only just for like, I'm happy for you, but I'm like happy like for like women and like the broader conversation of sexism. Like this is so cool. So what was the last thing you binged? This could be a Netflix show, a food, an app, a YouTube channel, a podcast. Um, Yeah. So what was the last thing you really like got into? Um, It's. Yes! Oh my gosh. Okay, so you hit a sweet spot for Chelsea and I because we spent the last five years living in Philadelphia. Oh, she spent the last five years. I was only there the past year. We love Philadelphia so much. Last year we were roommates and we lived in South Philly. Well, not technically South Philly, but pretty South Philly. It's pretty South Philly. Pretty close walking distance to where that show takes place. Yeah, but actually, it's so funny. Isn't it so funny? It's It's like a consistently funny show. I'm shocked that it's been on for so long yeah but it's I feel like it'll it's one of the shows that will just always exist and never end truly it's wonderful you know how Danny DeVito got on it no he was a he was a guest star but then he was like no I want to do this it's so cool <laughs> yeah. like I am staying yeah that's amazing and I feel like, like so for cool. them to create that culture like it doesn't it seem so fun to like to so be in like, that oh my gosh they must have a blast recording I yeah. just like yeah. there are moments that's one of those shows that there are like specific moments that stick out in my head you know when you're like sitting your dressing work and you think of something funny when I think of like some things from it's always funny I will audibly laugh <laughs> and I'll be like oh my gosh like <laughs> people will be like oh what's so funny I'm like no I was like thinking of this thing. <laughs> like I'm thinking of it now and it's just hilarious um that's such a great show and I will ask you too because I'm just so curious. Do you watch Silicon Valley? I have watched a couple episodes with Aviva. <laughs> I sometimes it's grating, like it's like oh god, everything's so like embarrassing <laughs> yeah. and like dumb, and it's it's like too. Does it hit too close to home? It, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. But also, I feel like there are so many, like, wonderful things about, like, having a startup and being in the startup world that it, like, totally does not capture because that's not the tone of the show. Right. And I'm like, this is, like, the worst experience. <laughs> yeah. Like, who would ever want to do this? <laughs> yeah. You're like, wait, that's me? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm in the middle of season two right now, so I had to ask. Um, okay, next question is, 
what is your dream job? This is barring any constraints of the natural world. What would um, Alex like to do for the rest of her life? my job now (laughs) so okay cool it's it's fun I have like so much fun it's really hard in a new way every day Uh, I'm getting a lot of an insane amount of personal growth out of it so I that's a good answer I'm really pleased with that um so our last question is what resources do you have to share with our audience? Um, one that I recommend to everybody is the fifth a book, or it's also an audiobook. <laughs> Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership. That's uh, my company. We practice them. We did a wonderful accelerator called Merge Lane, which is. It's new. It's an accelerator and a venture fund for companies with one, at least one woman in leadership. And it's based in Boulder. Um, when Chelsea and I open up our own business, we're going to do Merge Lane. We don't know what the business is yet. But we're working on it. We're working yeah. on it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Alex, this is such a joy. Thank you for sitting down with us and speaking about not only Ready, I feel like I learned so much about you as a person. And I'm so excited, even now, even now that I know that your dream job is working as CEO, I'm so excited to see what the future of Ballot Ready holds. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm just excited to keep reading more about it and seeing your name pop up in my newsfeed. Thank you. This was, like, so much fun. <laughs> it's always great to meet a woman CEO. Yes. So I'm so excited. To yes. Shout out to women CEOs everywhere. If you want to find out more information about Ballot Ready, you can check out their website at BallotReady.org. They also have an active Twitter page. And be sure to use their website and enter your address, zip code, and find out who is going to be on your ballot this upcoming November. On today's lifestyle section, we're going to talk about the job search process. Um, Two of us right now are currently in this process. Rachel is going to share her very exciting news in a second. But um, I just want to talk more about your experience as a candidate. So either positive or negative, like what what did you come out with? Thank you, Chelsea. Um, I am very excited that I will be staying on at Year Up after I have been a New Sector Fellow there, and I will be um, supporting our team that sells our internships um, to our, our partner companies. So um, not particularly for that process, but just for kind of all the interviewing processes in general that I've been through in the last few years, um, I would say my best and worst experiences are related to the communication that I get um, as the candidate from the hiring manager. And so I've been in a few situations where I've been promised that, oh, we'll let you know either way in a week or two. And then three weeks goes by and I haven't heard anything or... um, Things like that are, are, there's nothing more frustrating from a candidate perspective than expecting an email and not receiving one. Um, so I, I think when people are just really clear um, about their plan for communication um, or when they say, hey, actually, we've been delayed. You know, it's going to be another week till you hear. Like, that's really, that, that's really um, kind of calming. Or if they say, you're only going to hear from us if, you know, if it's a yes for the next round. That's also great, because then I know if I don't hear, right, where the ambiguity, I think, is really hard. So I'd say best, best scenario is when um, you get really good communication, and worst scenario is when, is when you don't. 
so I'm happy to represent the one half of the people of this, the hosts of this podcast that are currently job searching. Um, but I'll, I'll actually speak about an experience I had. I worked for a nonprofit that um, included, it was a small nonprofit between 12 and 15 staff members, but the culture of the nonprofit um, was founded on a strong belief that everybody should be included in selecting a new hire. So um, the process would go that when we were hiring either someone for, um, it was kind of a legal non-services nonprofit, so someone for our legal team would get the opportunity to meet every staff person, both on the legal and administrative operations team. Um, and then our executive director identified the strengths and weaknesses of all of the staff members um, and kind of figured out where would be a best fit to place them in that interview process. So, um, for example, I kind of have that personal, personable personality and I'm eager to ask questions and meet people and kind of just get to chat with them rather informally. So that was my role in the interview process. I would meet with the candidates over coffee, um, for like a half an hour before they kind of went into the other components of the interview. And I appreciated that, um, as an employee of that organization because I saw how much they really valued getting to know holistically the candidate before hiring them. Um, And then I kind of also appreciate now that I am in the job searching process, I, I just think that level, that like personal touch was really great and I was happy to be a part of it. And so now when I'm in the process right now and going through all of these different, like, it feels like you have to jump through hoops and show them your swimsuit and answer these short answer questions and, like, do all these, like, crazy glitzy things in order to prove to them that you can do, like, this one entry-level job, which is kind of crazy. Um, But, you know, it's, I feel like I have the background now because I've been on the other side of it to know, um, you know, I think it speaks a lot about the organization itself, about what their hiring process is. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It does feel more so like a pageant sometimes than an actual job interview. Um, I guess my issue or the challenges that I've had with the job search process are the questions that are asked sometimes in interviews. Um, Just connecting those questions to how the the answer that they want from me is connected to the job or them not giving enough questions for me to really talk about all of my experiences and trying to prepare in advance. Okay. I want to talk about these three experiences and accomplishes that I've accomplishments that I made there and connecting it, like trying to tie it into the questions that they ask. Sometimes it's tricky where I'm like, that's like not exactly what they asked for, but I really want to talk about this experience I had here um, and the work that I did. So that that's a challenge for me too um and also trying to navigate this whole like personality test situation which is all really new for me and trying to figure out is this test really gonna give you what my personality is and all of these like extra extra things that are just all new to me I'm still adjusting to if you were a hiring manager what would you want the hiring process to look like I guess for me, this probably goes back to my last answer, but I would just want to lay out something really clear for the candidate that just tells them what to expect from me that, you know, I would try to be pretty responsive. And I, you know, I say that now not being a hiring manager, so I'm sure that's really hard, but that that's something that would be really important to me, having been frustrated when that doesn't happen on the other side. Um, And then I think also like expecting the candidate to be really responsive. You know, if I were to reach out and offer someone an interview and they didn't, email me back within 24 hours, I would be pretty certain that they weren't really seriously interested. So I think maybe it goes two ways. 
I agree with everything that Rachel said, and I'm going to maybe counter a little bit to what Chelsea said earlier. I really do value the fun questions that are asked in interviews. A lot of times we talk in the nonprofit sector, um, this is a question that kind of often comes up when we have panels in our fellowship program, but um, whether or not you would hire someone, if you had like two applicants with the same resume, um, if you would hire someone with more personality over someone with maybe like one more or two more years of experience. I'm someone who, you know, say if I was organizing an entire interview process and this was going to be a future coworker of mine, I would put a lot of weight on their personality and how well they fit into the office culture. So I feel like even though those silly questions are, yes, silly, I feel like they do get at a bigger thing, which is like, are they a good fit into the organizational culture? Are they going to mesh well? Are they going to want to come into work every day because they'll feel supported by this team? Um, And so I don't know. I think kind of I I would just have all of those silly. I would, of course, be the one to get that coffee with them and want to know like weird, peculiar things about their hobbies and interests. I think you might have misunderstood what I said originally. Um, I'm really, it's more so like I do completely appreciate the silly questions. And that's kind of like what I was going to say instead of the personality test um, is asking people those questions. But um, I was more so talking about their questions just don't really get to the skill set that I was going to bring to the position more so than like the silly questions. I feel like the silly questions are helpful for like relaxing someone and really getting the tr- their true self during that interview process. So I would definitely want to have that there. Um, yeah, that was going to be like what I would say is really like making sure that they feel comfortable enough to really share who they are. Um, and those silly questions I feel like are great. I did was part of the hiring process at my last position. And those were questions I always advocated for. So like, silly questions like you know your spirit animal or things like that so it shows creativity a lot of the times um which is important for most roles i think in a few years when we are all in positions to be hiring people we should revisit this episode and check in on ourselves and see how we are doing yes cool The Brink of Impact is created by Chelsea Lowe, Maggie Stoller, and me, Rachel Whaley. Check us out on iTunes, where you can find a new episode every other Monday. You can follow us on Twitter at Brink of Impact. Our music is Lazy Day by Go Soundtrack. <laughs>